0: Welcome to Paul and Ben, the Injury Men. Today we discuss a little bit around scientific literacy and critical thinking. This was driven on by a lot of scientific information being in the public domain at the moment with COVID-19 and the vaccine. And we debunk a few of the conspiracy theories around this. We discuss it a little bit more. Hopefully we go into a bit more detail than you get in the news outlets at the moment and hopefully uh, we'll put your mind a little bit at ease we eventually bring it back around a little bit to debunking a couple of things on physio things is a physio podcast i hope you enjoy it's been a little while we enjoyed getting back together Uh, please subscribe and review these podcasts on whichever format that you're watching or listening to us on enjoy Welcome to another episode of Paul and Ben, the Injury Men. It is another lockdown, and therefore it seems that what happens is we always reunite, Paul and I, and we get ourselves involved in an, in another episode. It's been uh, since the end of November, since our, our last episode, so how's, how's everything been going, Paul? How are you? Yeah, as well as
1: it can be with everything going on, but yeah, we like a lockdown for podcasts, don't we?
0: So... Yeah. It's a good opportunity. Uh, Keeps keeps us occupied. Yeah and and we wanted to use this episode to talk a a little bit around sort of scientific literacy and critical thinking um, because obviously as part of our jobs and as part of our studies um, and our research um, we obviously have to look at a lot of scientific evidence and as practitioners and clinicians and and as physios in general we should always be looking to be evidence-based and evidence-based means backing up what we're doing with the latest and best scientific research. Um, So we thought it'd probably be a good opportunity to discuss that uh, seeing as there's so much scientific interest in the public domain and more specifically talking about COVID-19 obviously. Um, So just, just wanted to get your thoughts Paul obviously you're working at a higher level scientifically to me at the moment because obviously you're a you're a PhD candidate um, so what what do you think generally at the moment in terms of what you've seen in the kind of mainstream news and what are your thoughts about kind of what people are discussing and and, and related to kind of covid 19 and and also we were talking a bit more specifically around the vaccine what what are your thoughts at the moment
1: i think now there's so much news from all sources and especially with social media and any sort of paper or channel it's all going to be done on their political view rather than what's actually being said or done um the main reason for us wanting to do it is because I'm getting a few patients who are questioning the vaccine, sort of the speed of it being done, and and the rigor, and can you trust it? And you can you can understand why people don't trust these things because there'll be twenty articles on Facebook from someone's nan saying that your arm will fall off if you get a vaccine, etc. And as soon as you click on anything like that all you're going to get on Facebook particular is just more and more news cycles of the same thing so doubt in it or negative things on that and then the, the general like the newspapers here like in the UK it's all dependent on their political allegiance how they'll how they'll uh, report on something so a good example I thought was when Uh, A few years ago, you sort of read that bacon causes cancer. And then if you look at the different news articles, it was, oh, as soon as you have one rash of bacon a day, your increased risk of dying is 20%. And then you look at others and they go, oh, a a bit of bacon will up your risk of dying, but doesn't increase it. And then others are literally like, as soon as you have any bacon, you're, you're about to drop dead on the spot, sort of thing. Uh, so it's just trying to tell people how to actually get away from fake news. And you've got Donald Trump's last four years just destroying public trust in anything. I think the more you say fake news is around, then people are just going to believe it as well. And then you're getting it. So it's, it's just a bit of a mess at the moment. I don't think it's ever been worse, to be honest, in terms of like clear... Uh, like trustworthy news cycles as well um but now do you feel the same with that
0: yeah uh, absolutely i think even even someone who's obviously done two scientific degrees where we've had to learn how to critically appraise things and by critically appraise for people that don't know what that means i mean look at studies or look at evidence and and kind of break down what's good quality what might be bad quality look at the strengths and weaknesses of the evidence um I think it's it's so easy nowadays to for people who don't have that understanding to get little tidbits of information from social media that look like they kind of fit in with their their ideals and their biases and then take that as absolute gospel and I think it's really really hard even for us to discern what is good evidence and what's bad evidence in 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 your opinion taking that sort of um example that you used of around bacon or the, the news articles that you that you saw where would you send people to to find out a bit more information if they if they wanted to about those sorts of things rob obviously they will trust these big sources like some of these articles are probably on quite reputable websites or or news outlets like BBC maybe or kind of bit or or, or even bigger ones than that in in other countries but um where where would people go to find out a bit more information or or kind of critically appraise or look into it a bit more
1: yeah I'd say every article should have the original source of it so like on the bacon ones it was from international journal of epidemiology and there should be links to that that you can click on and then that will give you the original source of it so and like you're saying with bias as humans we're inherently biased so if and and that goes to the news you'll read you'll only like listening to news that you you agree with sort of thing you won't probably listen to news or read papers that you don't agree with so that that then just adds an extra layer of bias. And it's a bit like Chinese whispers. The more people that have read something and digest it and then tell you, probably the the further away from actually what it says it gets to. But you can click on the links directly. Uh, A lot of times I tell people to go to PubMed. So if you just type in P-U-B-M-E-D into Google, the top website, that is then the national sort of global database for scientific research and then in that you can type in your query so if we type in bacon and cancer it will come up the review articles that you can click on some of them you'll be able to find the full text to just read it there and then um others you can't but in general yeah it just you then see the science and then you can read it. The issue you then have is once you read, you might not know what that science says if you've never sort of been dealt with it. Because it's not that everything that's ever been published and by it being published, it means someone else has read it. Uh, Generally, you have a couple of other people that will read it and go, yeah, that's good. We're going to put it into this journal. Just because it's published doesn't mean that it's good anyway. There's a lot of rubbish papers out there and pretty much you can prove most things with the amount of research that's there but it's just looking at the different levels of evidence so in in science there's a bit of a hierarchy so at the bottom you have anecdotes of what like a doctor says or a physio says like we can see something in clinical practice of if i do this then you get better with that condition Next, you have like case reports of where maybe it'd be like one or two patients that you follow up, um, but you look at, look at them individually as they have X condition, you treat them and they get this better, but with some measures there as well. And then you go up the ranks with more controlled trials. So that'll be where you get a lot of people. Um, some are treated this way, some are treated the other way, and then you'll compare the results with that. Um, and then right at the top, you have what we call like a meta-analysis or systematic review. So that's where you get lots of controlled trials and specifically randomized controlled trials, which just means that, say, me and Ben enter a study, um, we won't know what group we're going to go into. Um, because if it's not randomized, like say for let's say it's a, it's a study on cycling ability mine zero Ben's is quite high um, and if I want to prove that my bike is quicker I'm gonna maybe bias it Ben and put Ben in the, the quick the bike that I want to sell in his group and I'll put me in the rubbish one so again with science you're trying to eliminate bias because as humans we are just absolutely mad for it and we love it um but then at the top, like I was saying, at the top of the tree, you've got randomised control trials, which is then a few studies pulled together, the research, so you get more of a sample size, and you go from there. I'd say the vaccine research at the moment, the level of, the level of research and the rigour that's done has been absolutely insane. So I... I took part and the way the whole thing's been conducted um, I've never seen a better study to be honest and it's made me rethink how I do my PhD work because it was just so so well so good the way it's been conducted because within the Oxford vaccine they've not only randomized people to either you get the vaccine or you don't but it's also double blinded so that means that I don't know what vaccine I've had but also the person giving me the vaccine, they don't know which one they're giving me either. Because even with that, there could be subtle cues of, oh, you, you might, you're, oh, like, well done for taking the OXIVAC. There could be just subtle cues of, oh, well, good luck with this one, or, oh, you, you've got no chance with that one. Just And then all of a sudden you think that, oh, I could or could not have it, and then that will change your behavior, which will then affect the results. So.
0: So, so that, so um, yeah, in, um, in general, it's with so, science. That sorry to interrupt yeah, sorry. That double blinding. So, just to come back a little bit on that, the idea behind that for people that, that don't know scientific research, as you said, is just to take the bias out of it. So, if that doesn't completely make sense, um, is that that just means that if you if the researcher might give a, a cue or a clue to the person who's been given the actual vaccine as opposed to the placebo which is the non um kind of effective treatment um then there could be a way that that could affect the study is that that's the point of it and that's a real high level of evidence or is that a real high level of reliability or validity what what would you describe that as yeah the, the
1: more The more people are blinded, the less bias and just the true result can be trusted more. So basically the more scientific rigour, when it comes to the end of the trial and they go, the results say X, well, you can either believe that or not. Um, But if there's, say there's no blinding in it at all, um, and they give me the vaccine and they go, you've got the vaccine, you've got the Oxford one. If and this was back in April, and if I go, oh, well, that's good, well, then I'm, I might go around never wearing a mask, I might be licking people's faces, and might go, mm-hmm. like oh, I'm untouchable, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then say I'm blinded, but then the person giving it to me isn't blinded. There could just be subtle cues of, oh, like, oh, well, yeah, like, well done for accepting this vaccine, or I can't wait for this pandemic to be over, you're helping it out. And then that that sort of could give someone the view of oh well I've had it, or someone could give it and go you got no chance with that, and then you know you you're in the placebo group like with the Pfizer vaccine because it generally gives you quite a big arm reaction. People knew which group they were in, so if if they had it, they they knew that like their arm like felt really heavy for a day, um, and when they didn't have the their placebo, never gave any effect, so they sort of could subtly. Un- um, unblind themselves just mm. by that um, and then it goes on to the the outcome measures that you're, that you're measuring so I mean for the vaccine it's a bit different because they're looking at the amount of people that get infected so that's quite clear cut you can do a test and you go you've got it or you don't so you have it in other research especially in the physiotherapy world it's not as clear cut those sort of things we're looking at. So something like, say you've got like knee osteoarthritis and you're looking at if I do this treatment, do they get less pain and improved function with it? But if I, if I really like a particular treatment and I'm giving it to someone when I'm doing the treatment, I might be saying, Oh, this is the best thing ever. I've treated thousands of people with it. You're going to get, your chances of improvement are so much better. So that feeds into the patient of, oh, well, actually, yeah, this might be quite good. So there's inherent placebo effects to anything because if you believe in anything, it probably helps you out a little bit. Um, and a lot of medicine is about your interaction with the person you're treating as well. So say you hate, like well, I get it, the time, people don't like their GP sometimes. So they hate their GP. So whatever their GP says from now on, they're not going to believe. Yeah, they could be telling
0: the absolute
1: truth. Um, so yeah, with science, it's about cutting. It's about cutting out just hu- the human error of stuff because we are just quite dramatic with everything we do.
0: Yeah, um, I, think, but I But I would say, I think. I think. Uh, the problem that people are having is that there's a big level of distrust generally, isn't it? And that, and that comes down to, I think with regards to the vaccine and the, and the COVID-19 pandemic at the moment is that number one, as we're discussing, people don't have understanding around levels of evidence and critically appraising what's been t- told to us. They're just looking at the chief medical officers and, and the, um, people standing in front of them in the press conferences and listening to what they're saying but they're not realizing what goes on behind the scenes are they or actually looking into that as much and as you've said you've you've been lucky enough to be part of that study which is great um and seen how it is but also we can look a little bit back in behind the scenes and look into it and research it a little bit more um to to, uh, I know you obviously had a point you were just going to go on to, and there's a bit of a delay, hence why we're speaking over each other a little bit. But coming on to levels of evidence, obviously a lot of what we're hearing and what you were describing from your your patients that you're seeing and their their distrust of the vaccine, that is anecdotal evidence, isn't it? Some people are going, well, it's some people of what I've heard is it's it's happening too quickly. So does that not mean it's safe? Um, that is a very low level of evidence, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you you can sort of, you, you understand it, but then you go, well, actually, this vaccine, the whole world wants a vaccine. So every government is ploughing in as much money as they can humanly afford mm. to get a vaccine because it's affecting every country. So that's why things happen quicker. It's a bit like, it's a bit like any of it. If I wanted to decorate my house um, and I wanted to do it on the cheap, I'd do it myself. But if I had unlimited money, I could have a hundred workers in here painting one wall, and it would be done in a minute.
0: Yeah, a <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. and that's but, the-, uh, the Oxford one is that it is not for profit. It's a very cheap. Um, yeah, from my understanding.
1: Yeah, so they're doing it at just wholesale value. So that's where again, it's just all political, basically. So where you had in America that they were they were discrediting the Oxford vaccine a bit, and I think Anthony Fauci, their head of medicine, he sort of downplayed why it was regulated so quickly and all this. I mean, a big driver of that is the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are created by private companies and for profit. The Oxford is run not for profit. So could it be that he's downplaying that so they're American companies, everyone goes. Um, again, and, and that's like the politics of it. And that, that has been the issue with this because at the start, everyone said, especially in the UK, oh, don't bother with masks, masks are pointless. As soon as you say that, you, like, and you, you, and, like, we've never, ever wore masks before ever, like, in general life sort of thing. No. Um, so as soon as they say that and then they go, oh, hang on, masks are good, wear them, you, you're going to feed distrust into it yeah. by constantly rowing back on everything. Mm. Um,
0: uh, I mean, in Asia, when they have had coronaviruses before, more specifically, when I went to Japan, I thought it was strange that everyone on the public transport wore masks, but the fact that they've had an, an aerosol or airborne uh, virus or disease, whatever, before, that they've had that, and that's just the norm to them, and then it, it's just the transitional period, isn't it? And that and any change, just that comes with distrust, especially when it comes to the state and things like that, but as yeah, I don't think it's sensible for us to go too much into the politics here. This, if, we, uh, if we keep it scientific, that would be probably a little bit more interesting. Well, I'm not even sure if it's interesting, but at least it's trying to enlighten people a little bit. Everyone's probably sick of the news at the moment. Yeah,
1: and I think, yeah, it's, um, it's just generally, like if you see, a, say, say they have a news article the headline—it's a bit like anything on social media. The headline is going to be quite dramatic because they want people to click on it, like clickbait for everything. Whereas, like if we go back to that bacon story, the real headline is: Oh, if you eat four rations of bacon a day, you've got an increased risk of cancer by 12%. I mean, that doesn't really make you want to click on it. No. So, but go go in the other way and going: no, Oh, if you eat any bacon, you're going to die. Everyone's like, oh, God, and then they're dropping them. So it's, it's just it's trying to see what people say. I mean, one thing for me would be just look at it logically, like a lot of things, like, does that act? could that actually be possible, sort of thing? Um, especially with these conspiracy theories, like how, like how the 5G masks are going to, infect your bloodstream, I mean, you just think, wow, well, how on earth is that logical?
0: Yeah. Uh, considering
1: yeah. we've had 1G, 2G, 3G and 4G,
0: Yeah. but yeah. all of a
1: sudden 5G is like the killer.
0: And, and uh, also that just doesn't make any sense. That's just utter nonsense, as, w- as well as some of these other conspiracy theories around Bill Gates is trying to microchip you with the virus, with the vaccine, sorry, for the, against the virus. I mean, those types of conspiracy theories are nonsense. One, because what's his interest in that? Two, it's ridiculous that we're even talking about that. But two, that would be talk about cost effectiveness. Do you think they could roll that out that quickly? No. And also, it just wouldn't be able to be possible. It would be visible. It wouldn't be like that it's it's hard enough creating a decent vaccine that's got a high level of effectiveness let alone one that the government's going to track you on or bill gates or whatever it is but i just wanted to get that one in there because that was a ludicrous conspiracy that i heard but it, sometimes it is oh, yeah, than
1: and people. and free he's done more for humanity than any other human being there ever has been like i think if you're going to think of a conspiracy for at least think of someone that generally hates everyone. I mean, if you said Trump was creating one, you're probably going to believe it a bit
0: more. (laughs) (laughs) Again, let's steer clear of the politics.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like it too much.
0: Um, I just want to come back a little bit more specifically to the vaccine, because... From my understanding, and again, I don't want anyone to take this as gospel evidence, but the fact that it has been rolled out and they are asking people to take these vaccines, everyone in the country to take these vaccines, it probably is worth us even just giving our little tidbit on it. So my understanding of of, in terms of looking at the strengths of the study and and the development of this is they've had quite a lot of volunteers for the study. I think it's what, over 20,000 people who they've looked at this vaccine in um, and they having a look into it they've they've only recorded very very little um kind of negative side effects from that um and they they describe them as mild um which which i think is pretty strong and if we look at coming back to that idea of anecdotal evidence of someone saying well i had this and this is my experience of it that's what we call n equals one isn't it so that's that's a sample size or a a volunteer size of one as a study that's a very very weak poor level of evidence and and a very poor sample size whereas if you've got twenty thousand people yeah okay it's not seven billion but you're gonna get a a really nice wide variety of, of people and types and and reactions potentially um do you think that's fair
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Basically, the more the larger the sample, the more confident you are in those results. Because, like you said, you you need everyone from every background. So, um, like you need young people, you need older people, you need different races, you need different socioeconomic backgrounds so that the results that you get, you can generalize to a population a bit more
0: um, rather than cherry pick. Yeah. And, and obviously some people will go, well, okay, if it's 20,000, I'd be a lot happier if it was a million people, but <laughs> that's just not going to be possible to, in terms of rolling out a vaccine in a quick way to prevent loss of life. And also cost cost effectiveness, it comes down to that. Again, obviously they put a lot of money at it, but I think probably time is the key factor there. 20,000 is a lot of people in a short space of time, isn't it? So we can be pretty rest assured in, in terms of, looking at it being safe, if you've got 20,000 people, we, we, when we did our uh, master's thesis, we did a training study where we had, what, 100 people? Was it even that high? Um, and that felt like a heck of a lot.
1: Yeah, um,
0: yeah, it's right. So, and that took a lot of time with a small team, but uh, these people have done phenomenal work. Um, so I think that that should reassure people somewhat um have you looked into the type of the oxford vaccine have you, have you seen kind of how how that has been developed and what type of um, vaccine that is compared to others the oxford vaccine is sort of using
1: the similar technology to what we've used for like other vaccines so like different like TB jabs and stuff or ones that you get when you go abroad for yeah. a bit and you have um but the Pfizer and Moderna ones are like new technology where they use like RN, was it mRNA? MRNA, so which, which will be like the future of vaccines, to be honest, because you can like with with a virus, it has a certain DNA and genetic code. But um what what you can do with RNA is uh Get a specific part of that code, Mm. um, take it out of it and then develop it synthetically. And then once you build it up, you can but you can alter it very quickly. So with this new strain that they're talking about, the new strains we've got the UK and South Africa, that actually that that vaccine in particular, you can change it very quickly Mm. um, to then adapts with what you're doing. Um, Whereas the Oxford one, yeah, it's it's more proven technique on vaccines as in the way they've done it. So they basically inject you with a little bit of the virus, but not the the part that makes you ill. Mm. And then it just makes your body ready to attack it. So it heightens it. I mean, the way I've sort of described it to people is, it's like taking your community support officer or making him go from neighborhood watch to the SWAT team overnight. Uh, he, he, he's just trained up, and he can he can tolerate a lot more now. Or he, he sees a little bit of virus, and he's going in there with like machine gun to get it. Whereas before he was sort of letting him mug him. Um, so which <laughs> so quicker to
0: respond? <laughs> yeah. It's um, they've as you said they used that for the Oxford one. They've used that really effectively with TB or tuberculosis before, um, and I think that's how it's been able to get been done so quickly and obviously it they use that um a virus a specific virus that's that gives the um chimpanzees the common cold that the virus that they've used an adenovirus it's called and then it's um they load it up with a gene which um corresponds to the coronavirus spike protein obviously you see those images of the coronavirus like the circular things with the spikes on it um with the club shaped part on the dot surface and then they help to penetrate into human cells isn't it and then they get um that stimulates an immune system response and then you produce the antibodies as a result of that um and so like no one it it, well not many people that i've spoken to have looked into that science like this vaccine hasn't just happened like that like they haven't just mixed a few different chemicals into a pot shaking it up And then, like, they're injecting injecting it into people. Like, these these are, like, world experts, like Oxford University and AstraZeneca, huge organisations putting their name to something. Pfizer, similar. Like, they're putting their names to these things. They're not going to um, be doing that willy-nilly, especially when it comes to world health, are they, and public health in general. Um, But, yeah, I need to... Yeah, and,
1: and like, the general safety of things i mean especially in the uk like if we want to do anything say you like anything at all like own a flat if i want to change any part of the outside of my flat i've got to fill in 20 billion forms yeah um the amount of health and safety there is is absolutely insane like the red tape for everything
0: yeah
1: and then we get a vaccine then all of a sudden everyone thinks we'll just we just allow anything to happen it's (laughs) It, like the, the work that goes in just to get in the study off the ground, like a little bit of, like the research I do is just looking at, I mean, we're looking at a couple of interventions to get people bigger, stronger, reducing pain, improving their function. But I mean, the ethical process for that in the NHS, that takes four or five months mm-hmm. and like upwards of like 80 documents just to even get that off the ground, I I cannot even imagine how the ethical process to get these this coronavirus these vaccine studies off the ground was. is It's just insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, it's not just people like oh we got the genetic code for this vaccine, let's just start chucking it in people. It, it's just follows a process of you test it in animals. I know people won't like that, but I mean a lot of this always starts because you can then see the response and then you you chuck it in healthy volunteers that are young and then you go up go up the brackets and yeah it's it's a a long a a horrifically long process
0: yeah in general i think i think we've done a good job on uh on the vaccine now and and relate to the virus I, i hopefully if anything from this people will I've got something around like critically appraising and looking into it a little bit more because we're by no means experts on immunology or virology at all. I just no. want to put that back into there. <laughs> but obviously what we're saying is that we, because we've studied science and scientific rigor and we've, we've made our own studies and study design, we have a little bit of understanding around it. So therefore it makes us a little bit more critical and kind of probing into what, what's happening in, in terms of public health knowledge and understanding and science at the moment. So um, what, what I wanted to kind of segue in from, from there was just to bring it back a little bit to, to physio um, is, you know, we were talking about sort of that idea that makes sense and that's sort of that anecdotal evidence. And um, then we can um, follow that idea. And, and one good example that I know we were talking about the other day was that idea of text neck so that's yeah. kind of a common understanding that, well, we hear it in physiotherapy, but it's quite common. I've seen it on social media and people have been discussing it and there's been news articles. Um, what's, can you unpick that a little bit for us? So like, what what is text neck? Where do you think that's come from? And what are your thoughts on it?
1: Well, again, it's clickbait, isn't it? Text neck. you go, well, that's quite interesting. Um, so it comes from people looking down on their phones and then that causing a neck pathology. So then you go from that and you go, Oh, well, I can't I can't text anyone. If as soon as I text anyone, I'm gonna get neck pain, basically, is then sort of how it goes. And people on social media, oh, you should look at your screen a bit higher, and then there's strategies to prevent that. But again, if we look at it logically. So looking down on your phone, is that something that only just started when we got telephones? But then if you look back centuries ago, we've had newspapers. What are people, how are people reading newspapers? They got it down, they got their head down. Sort of <laughs> um, did everyone who read a newspaper get neck pain? No. Does everyone that texts on their phone get neck pain? No, they don't. So maybe some do. But is that because of them texting, or is it because of a hundred to a thousand other different possible explanations for it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Terms of sleep, nutrition, their fitness, or positive, like anything wise. But um, but what? Yeah, what annoys me more with that is sort of sometimes these things counteract each other. So basically when you're looking down on your phone that's meant to put strain on the neck muscles as you're looking down you sort of brink is similar to when you sit everyone goes oh you've got if you sit too long you've got tight hip flexors you get tight fronts of your hips when you sit too long but then that argument is counteracted well Actually, if I'm sitting long, then the back of my leg is probably on a stretch, like my hamstrings and glutes are stretched, but you don't, but we don't get loose glutes from sitting too long, but we get tight hip flexors. Mm-hmm. So that's where bi- biomechanics alters it. And it's a bit like posture where, say with Tech's Neck, if you go, oh, you can't ever look down on your phone again, you got to look at it with it up well then your shoulder might ache because you just got, you're holding a phone up all day by like doing this and then, or other areas will be affected sort of thing. Um, so it's, it's just a fragile mindset in general, mm. like society as a whole where like, if you do this, you're going to break or everything is bad for you. Like running is bad for arthritis. This is everything. Everything is bad. Um.
0: It's, it's redundant, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. it's trying to go for the simplest explanation, because that makes sense. Um, and also, I'm re- re- reading a good book, the psychology of money, Morgan Housewell. he talks about things that are negative, will get a lot more traction, and a lot more interest than things that are positive. So somebody who gets um, neck pain from using their phone too much that's one person but actually you've got five billion other people who probably have phones now who out of those people maybe 70 percent of them don't have neck pain no one says reads read the news article that says oh or a fake news article in inverted commas that says oh um Bones are causing neck pain, but actually 75% of the world still don't have neck pain. It just doesn't sell that way, does it? So that's, again, coming back to that argument of focusing on those negatives is much, much easier. Um, another good example, is, as you said, is um, talking about running. So p- loads of people will come into us and go, oh, I've got this knee pain. I think it's because I did a lot of running in my 20s um, and it's worn my knees out and because there's all these ideas about wear and tear, but actually there's some really good studies and and they've come out more recently and looked into it that have found real positive changes in knee runners, in runners, um, not just in their knees, but also in their spines. They've got better disc health and um, they've got more robust tendon health and ligament health and all those other things that come with it. So I think the negativity and the pessimism always sells more and, and is more popularly, Um, spread as a message rather than that positive message. Do you agree with that?
1: I totally agree with people love a negative compared to a positive headline. And especially with running how, like you said, that we know that actually if you do run into your older age brackets, you're probably less likely to have knee pain and arthritis. My general take home would be that if you see a big headline, try to look at the original source, rather than taking what's been said. And that goes for the newspapers, websites, but especially like social media, have a look at what they're sourcing to do it. And you can do your own research. So set about going, typing in PubMed into Google, so P-U-B-M-E-D, or Google, you can go to Google Scholar. So just typing in Google and in S-C-H-O-L-A-R, and then there, if you type, it, again, it gives you the search tabs and you can type in your question. So it could be vaccine safety or bacon and cancer. You can type those in and then you can get the original articles that have been peer-reviewed and researched by scientists. And then you can sort of make your own mind up as well. Yeah. Um, uh, that would and And just think logically about, yeah, just break things down logically, I think it's it's just human bias you've got to get rid of because we are all
0: just so inherently biased. And the way you do that is just doing science properly. I, I, I agree. And I think those are really, that's a really important take home is um, to like, just, just analyze things yourself. Don't just blindly take information. One thing I try and live by is always think that if there is something negative, um, or it's always cock up over conspiracy. Very rarely will there be a conspiracy about something, and especially something this big. I don't even think that with regards to COVID-19 and coronavirus um, and the the vaccine, rather, that there is anything to, to be kind of conspiratorial about. I think, if anything, the vaccine is probably one of... We're going to look back and think it's one of the most... Um, amazing things that's been rolled out in our generation I hope I'm not wrong but I think it's we're going to look back in a similar way to sort of wartime efforts and 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 those sorts of amazing things so um, that's what I really just want to encourage people to do but generally as as we've said be critical about the news articles that you're reading think about the level of evidence that it always comes back to that sort of that Dunning-Kruger effect often when you look at people on social media, the Dunning-Kruger effect is people who have little information and evidence but think they're an expert, whereas actually the converse is true. It's, it's, there's always someone <laughs> cleverer out there than you. You, for example, Paul, you've got much greater understanding of research than me. You're, you're studying a PhD at a higher level, and I'm sure you'll realise this, that the more you learn, the less you realise you know. So it is about always trying to upskill yourself and, and, and learn and and look into those informations and some of those resources, PubMed, Google Scholar that you've mentioned, I think are really, really invaluable and they're open access for everyone.
1: Well, it's, it's one thing I hate the most about science is people, yet yeah, the amount of paywalls things are behind and, I mean, that's another podcast in itself with scientific journals and the cost, but... um. But yeah, basically try and and just hunt out these original articles and see if what people are saying is actually what has been said in that article that they've referenced. Or is it purely just anecdote, which a lot of time it's just
0: someone's opinion, unfortunately. That's a very low level of evidence. (laughs) Yes. Um, Paul, thanks, mate. Thanks for joining me. Um, And thanks for everyone who's been listening. I'll let you do kind of the usual outro as you do it oh so beautifully with those Essex tones
1: <laughs> yeah these monotones get that outro Now on so no thanks to everyone that's listening hopefully you all stay safe and keep well uh also we never plug it but if you can give us sort of ratings or reviews that we that would be much appreciated Uh, And just to say, if you've got any questions you want us to answer or queries that you can go to bfrphysio.com forward slash podcast and you give us questions, Uh, you can email us at injurymen at gmail.com as well. And we're on the social medias, not face. Well, no, we're on all the social medias, aren't we? So we're at uh, BFRphysio, if you type that in, you'll find us and where you can, or the podcast itself is at injury underscore men where you can answer some questions and we'll hopefully be able to sort of go through them on the podcast with you and just to finish off with this episode was produced by bfr physiotherapy clinic and graphic designs by victoria higgins and we'll catch you on the next
0: episode stay safe everyone